I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the program. This is The Call. Ten companies picked by you, two expert guests. One hour, Friday the 25th of June. I'm Nadine Blaney and hello. Welcome to our viewers joining us on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Well, we're back with our guests joining us remote here with us, in spirit at least for the full hour, via Skype, Rudy Philippic van Dyke and from FN Arena and Claude Walker from A Rich Life. Guys, we find ourselves here again where we've got these um, lockdowns happening in some local government areas in the city of Sydney. Now, only a week. Hopefully we get through this quite quickly. Uh, but Claude and Rudy, maybe I'll start with you, Rudy. I mean, does this give you any pause for thought when it comes to, uh, you know, the, the likelihood of these lockdowns happening throughout the remainder of the year and therefore impacting confidence? Yes, I think so. Yes, I've, I've been uh, pointing this one out. I think everyone should realize that all present uh, forecasts for uh, RBA tightening for rate rises in the US, for uh, strong economic growth into 2022, for the reflation trade uh, for the rest of this year and, and next year and beyond. It's all related to the fact that we, we are very optimistic when it comes to uh, taming the, the global pandemic. But I think this is a reminder this week in Sydney that uh, taming the pandemic is a lot easier on paper than it is in practice. And uh, in particular, Europe, the US, uh, of course, uh, Australia now as well. Uh, we seem to have uh, these comebacks uh, constantly. We're going through circles and not in the straight line. And that will have an effect in on asset prices, on forecasts, etc., etc. Okay, Claude, is there something to be cautious of in here, in the current situation we find ourselves in, for you in terms of asset allocation and your investments? I don't, I don't think for me that uh, the <clears throat> Australian federal government's inability to vaccinate the population is changing my investment uh, outlook that much. I think we'll get it done eventually. We're going to pay a price for, uh, we'll pay a personal price, but I'm not sure it changes like the long-term investment thesis on anything much for me. A lot of my businesses are international, international businesses anyway, so yeah, yeah, there's definitely some pain around the edges and some impacts, some winners, some losers. But I think that, you know, the end is still in sight. It's just that we are the slowest runner in the race. Yeah. And uh, I think to Rudy's point is, you know, even central bankers say that uh, our ability to contain this virus and its variants is still their number one concern. I mean, everything hangs on the health outcomes. Speaking of health outcomes, how do you like that for a segue? Let's get to our stock of the day. Credit Suisse sees a short-term re-rating of CSL at current multiple, downgrading it to neutral from outperform. The broker says the market has not factored in the negative hit on margins from lower volumes and higher donor fees. 
It also sees headwinds to recovery, including pressure on collections going forward after a U.S. border protection decision that will see Mexican nationals finding it more difficult to come to those plasma donation clinics. The price target has been lowered to $310 from $315. Rudy, I'll start with you. The haters are going to hate. I mean, four downgrades for CSL in less than two weeks. And a lot of it does have to do with that border protection decision in the U.S. So what is going on? Yes, well, uh, I think if, if you take a little bit of a macro view on this, um, it, it should be clear to everyone that um, the, the, the pandemic, the virus, whatever you want to you call it, has essentially uh, laid bare some of the uh, vulnerabilities in the CSL uh, business model. It is not a, a company-specific thing. This is industry-specific, of course, and it's, it comes very back to the core of the business. If you want to develop your, your products, you need to be able to collect plasma. And to be able to do that, people need to come to your collection centers. And um, that is a little bit of a, of a question mark. It's not that they don't collect plasma. It's just that they, they can't maximize their, their collection uh, at the moment. And, and the recovery of post last year is, is going a little bit more gradual, it's, it's slower. And you, and you see that reflected in, in the share price and in the fact that brokers uh, downgrade the stock when it, when it tends to rally above $300, uh, as has happened now uh, twice over the next six months or so, over the past six months or so. I think people, uh, mean, I'm, I'm a, everyone knows this, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a big shareholder in, in, in CSL. Well, not, not that I'm a big shareholder in CSL. CSL is a big, big uh, component of my portfolio, which is the other way around. Yeah. Um, and I'm taking a long-term view and I'm relying on the fact that this is a high quality company. Uh, this is a obviously a transformation they have to go through. Uh, it doesn't go in straight lines. You just have to take these volatility pullbacks uh, into your strides, as far as I'm concerned. Um, but I also think it's fair to say that people should temper their expectations. Uh, CSL had been one of the stellar performers in um, over, on the Australian share market in the past uh, five years or so, or you can even take it longer. I think the performance of the shares over the next five to ten years, in particular over the next five years, will be will be uh, more subdued than they have been over the past five years. And that's because the company now has to uh, adjust to a post-COVID mm-hmm. uh, environment. And I'm going to stop my emails, by the way, because otherwise it's going to get annoying for the for the for the viewers. Uh, but uh, uh, I think people should realize that this is a every company is at, at some point goes through a phase when things are not going as smoothly as they were. And a global pandemic has had an impact on CSL. I still think it's a great long term buy. Um, but for the short term, I think people should should not have too high expectations. As far as the downgrade from Credit Suisse specifically goes, it becomes a little bit of a, of a, of a, of a question. What should you be um, uh, focusing on here? Do you focus on the negatives or on the positives? And, and we write on a regular basis about CSL. There are definitely positives out there. I think we should all wait until uh, the results release in August. I'm sure management will uh, highlight some of the positives and explain some of the negatives. Um, and I think um, CSL is what it yeah. is. It's one of the highest quality companies on the ASX. Okay, so, I mean, given that its price target is still $3.10, it's trading at $2.82. Mm-hmm. Is it a buy today for a long-term hold? 
Oh, I, I, I mean, I can only observe that the share price tends to pull back to the 280, 270 region and has been doing that over the past uh, 12 months or so. I think uh, it's a great buy if you if you don't focus on the on the short term okay. for this stock. Claude, would you be putting CSL into your portfolio today at 282? No, I I think so. My view on this has changed very recently, and I think Rudy's going to disagree with me, and and that's okay, and he he's maybe right. But um, I actually sold my CSL shares just last month in May. Now that was not because I foresaw you know these downgrades or or anything like that. It's actually a different issue for me, which is that I wonder if CSL's performance through the pandemic and I'm talking about the more innovative vaccine side of their business, might be a hint that what was previously one of the most um, innovative, high-achieving, and quite frankly, you know, very high-quality healthcare companies in Australia, I think that it had its moment um, last year. It was supposed to deliver or be involved in the production of a vaccine for Australia. It made two bets, uh, AstraZeneca and the University of Queensland vaccine, and both of those bets were bad. Now, I wonder how a company that employs so many intelligent, forward-thinking, scientifically-minded, talented individuals, how did it miss the mRNA boat completely? And... This, for me, is not just a question of, um, you know, this is a question of the cu- the culture of the company at the top. Because I am, a, I'm without knowing, I strongly suspect that individuals within CSL would have absolutely realised that mRNA, uh, mRNA vaccines were going to be important. So I wonder how that wasn't listened to, and and how they didn't end up being part of the solution that we so badly needed. And that would have really if they had been producing mRNA vaccines right now, they would their share price would be flying for a start. And second of all, they would be doing a great service to um, all Australians. So I rage sold my shares in CSL because I'm so angry they didn't do that. Wow. Okay. Interesting. I will give you right a reply there. Is that food for thought, Rudy? No, I think uh, uh, I think he's being a little bit too harsh here. For starters, CSL has done acquisition in the NRMA space, so it is part of the portfolio. And I think I don't think they missed it. I think uh, Claude is just missing the fact, or maybe overemphasizing the fact that when you produce one type of uh, of, of vaccine, uh, you can't just in a few weeks' time uh, build a whole new uh, facility and start producing the other one. The choice for AstraZeneca wasn't CSLs. It was the Australian government's decision. And the reason why CSL produced that in Melbourne is because that is very similar to what uh, what they were doing there already. So I don't think it's as black as white as Claude is saying here. Okay. Well, look, I think guys. That's fair. I think that's yeah. fair. Okay. All right. Well, regardless, you sold yours. It's a it's a it's a sell from Claude, and that means that it's coming out of the Osbiz portfolio making your mark already guys you're not allowed to have yes. regrets claude no regrets uh, <laughs> all I right let's to get to it yeah uh, no uh let's get right to it first stock of the day picked by you oz minerals it's for shabir he says he wants to get the experts thoughts because you know the share price is down 
At the same time, Macquarie has increased its target price to $31. Demand for copper should grow. I think Macquarie increased its uh, its uh, price target on copper as well just this week. And he goes on to explain all of the use cases that we've discussed many, many times for copper. So he says that he's not a fan of cyclical stocks. However, with all the tailwinds, is it time to buy? I'll start with you on that one, Claude, because you're not really a cyclical man yourself either. Oh, uh, yeah, no, I definitely... I think I can understand where he's coming from, though, uh, because I think what happens is, or at least certainly this happens to me, is there's a theme that you'd really like to invest in. And I'm a big believer in investing in themes. But the two parts of the equation are you need to find the theme, which in this case, I think he's probably thinking about, you know, an inflationary environment. Definitely he mentions electric cars. Yeah. Um, so that So that theme I kind of agree with. But the problem is, Sometimes we want to get exposure to a theme so badly that we buy stocks that we don't really, really like. Now, this can work if you have the psychology for it. But for me, buying stocks that I don't really like is definitely not a good strategy because my problem is that I often don't hold long enough. Usually you make the big money when you do a long term hold. So it's important for me to choose a business that I feel an affinity for in order to give myself maximum chances of a long term win. So with this one as well, um, if I, you know, basically from my understanding, they recently downgraded uh, their guidance because they increased um, their all-in sustaining costs. So their costs are going up. And also um, its dividend yield is only about 1%. So it's not like obviously cheap for me. On the, off, on the other hand, you have a consistently profitable mining company and it probably does give you exposure to a certain part of the cycle, which, which might work for you. However, you know, basically, if I was going to buy a mining company to try and get in on the electric car and the battery demand, um, I would buy a new uh, a US listed company called Albemarle, which is a big lithium producer. And I've actually thought of buying that one, but no, I haven't bought it myself just because, you know, I don't really like mining companies that much. Okay, so that is not a buy from Claude. How about you, Rudy? Oz Minerals, we've got the price of copper looking pretty bullish, although we've got threats from China that they're going to be releasing more supplies into the market. Still, though, if we do see this economic recovery come to fruition, you've got to think copper will be in high demand. Uh, long term, yes. Short term, no. And that's why that's why uh, the share price is down. And that's why it's not a great buy for the moment. I think to, to answer the question um, of regarding uh, copper, EVs, and, and also minerals. There is, we, we human beings, we think in straight lines, yet those things don't develop in straight lines. The problem from copper is, is in terms of supply, is more longer dated. Um, just for example, uh, in, uh, analysts are forecasting that over the next few years, we will see a lot of more scrap and supply coming on, on the market which will push that market into a surplus, which will weigh on the price of copper. Now, however, if you go a little bit further out, demand will, start, will, will continue increasing. It's increasingly difficult to add new copper supply to the market. So further out in this decade, there are forecasts of humongous deficits for that market if everything um, goes as planned. So this becomes more of a longer term story and not of a short term story. Now, what has happened in the market and you see that with, if you if you would have a graph of the, the price of copper, it looks pretty similar to, uh, to what we see with Oz Minerals, with the exception that copper has actually come down a lot more than the share price of Oz Minerals. 
which means that uh, people in the share market are assuming that the copper price has overshot to the downside. So to answer the question in, in a more succinct manner, if you want to play this theme, you have to have a much longer view, which I would think is a little bit more dangerous at this point in time. There are plenty of question marks on what's going to happen over the next six months with the so-called reflation trade, because China is slowing. China is trying to actively get more speculators out of those markets and might actually release some of its own reserves. It doesn't want those prices to be high. It wants those prices to be lower. And all, all those factors uh, make that the share price of Oz Minerals uh, can and might and probably will go lower from here. Okay, that is a no from Rudy as well. Let's get to Woolworths. So big uh, sell-off yesterday as it demerged the Endeavor business. Bit of news out this week as well. It's being hurt by these lockdowns, closing some of its metro stores and looking to write off uh, some of, uh, I guess, the damage as well. Uh, Woolworths, is it more interesting to you, Claude, now it doesn't have the Endeavor business? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, this is... I still remain a fan of Woolworths management. Um, it's obviously, it's like a massive, it's a large cap and, and it's not where I try to find um, real mispricings in the market. But still, to me, Woolworths seems like a really decent, um, yeah, somewhat defensive dividend stock. And the fact that they've, you know, demerged the Endeavor Group and, you know, that they're adapting to the changes in society as a result of the pandemic, it just shows it just shows me that this whole pandemic has just proven to me that I think Woolworths is actually a really well managed company. Like right from the beginning we've talked about it. You know, they, they got into the um home packed meal space as well pretty quickly. These guys seem to be paying attention. Um they have great data collection, you know, yeah. with their their Woolworths everyday record reserves now. Uh the rewards card, sorry. Now, one of the big bull points, and now that we just put Endeavor Group just aside, one of the big um, worries people might have about the supermarket business will be that, you know, the lower cost competitors in like Aldi and Costco and stuff like that. And to me, that is still probably the bull case, uh, the bear case that I'd worry about the most. But over the last year or so, I've begun to take the view a little bit more that this is seems to be a pretty good uh, defensive large cap business. And at the moment, you know, it's on about a 2.7% yield, looking at a little bit higher than that, maybe looking at forward estimates. But, you know, it's not a huge dividend yield. So it doesn't get me excited. This, for me, would be a dividend stock, and I'd need it a little bit cheaper. However, definitely one for the watch list, and, and not one that I'd be selling um, anytime soon if I was a long-term holder. I, I just think it's a good business. And that distribution network, that's a real moat. That, that moat lasts many years. We see lots of these large cap companies have distribution mm. networks and, and they work as moats. Okay. Uh, is a moat enough to get you excited about Woolworths as a buy, Rudy? What is it that you like about the company or you don't like? Well, I'm one of those long-term uh, shareholders. So I think that, that answers your question. I think there are not too many uh, large cap stocks in Australia that I always say you need to have this in your portfolio, but Woolworths would be one of them. Uh, it has the definition of quality. Um, you, you saw recently that uh, its main competitor in Australia, Coles, is ramping up investment because it needs to catch up. Uh, this, is the, this, is, this is one of the quality franchises in Australia. That's not just my opinion. It's, um, I, mean, I, I regularly see reports from Asia, 
if they look at Australia, Woolworths is one of the stocks that Asian investors are looking to invest in for that particular reason that I've, that I've just pointed out. Um, I wouldn't say that the share price is expensive here. It's it's it well, it's not cheap, but it's not overly expensive either. Uh, the fact that it only offers around 3% forward-looking dividend yield is because it's obviously valued as a quality stock in this market, probably correctly so. Um, I, I, I do think you can buy. I mean, it's not a screaming buy here. You would obviously like to, to, to buy it when it's cheaper. Um, I also think that we should be careful in how we, how we uh, define what's happening in Woolworths. It's not a sell-down here. It's simply the, cor the correction yeah. in the share price when we demerge uh, one of the, again, one of the top 50 businesses in Australia, uh, liquor and, and hotel, mm -hmm. hotels and pubs. But um, I mean, I, I think it's, it's as, as I said earlier, it's one of those backbones of every long term uh, portfolio, I believe. Steady dividends, steady growing dividends. And it's, uh, it's the primary uh, supermarket operator in Australia, highest quality. Did I hear a buy in there, Rudy? You, you do think no, you can I would, buy? I would, I, would, I would probably do a hold here. Um, yeah. You would hope you can get it cheaper, but you, you might not get it cheaper. Um, but then again, it's the share market. I mean, there's always a sell of around the corner at some point, And maybe that's when you buy them. Um, or maybe when the reflation trade gets another wind, uh, because Woolworths is the opposite of the reflation trade. Okay. Uh, but it's a steady performer. You should you should regard it as a steady performer and treat it like that. Bottom drawer, have the shares, don't look at it. Right. All right. So that is Woolworths. We'll have to pick up the pace slightly, guys. Grain Corp is next. So Sweet Spot, Goldilocks, all of those terms mm. have been bandied around some of these agriculture companies that are leveraged to, you know, an improved crop this year. That includes Grain Corp. Uh, to the point about management, Claude, I mean, uh, lots sort of point to management and strong execution on behalf of Grain Corp. Or, again, are you just at the mercy of cycles? Yeah, so, it's, I mean, it's interesting to note, for example, like a lot of these bigger mature businesses, to me, the dividend becomes much more important. And if I'm not wrong, these guys are trading on a similar dividend yield to um, Woolworths. Now, they're on a, a lower PE multiple. But the actual payout to shareholders isn't that much higher. And so I wonder whether if you are a dividend investor, it's worth the risk of investing in what can be a cyclical business that has ups and downs due to a whole wide range of factors they cannot control compared to, you know, a very strong brand with an oligopoly position and all of those great qualities that Woolworths has. So even though, again, maybe there's a trade here now because Braincorp kind of looks cheap at the moment and you can see that it had a decent run. Maybe there's a trade there, but it's just not for me because I just don't know where it would fit in the portfolio. Maybe super long-term hold it works out, but for me, if I'm going to go for these mature, large businesses that don't have some obvious source of um, you know, market dislocation... I prefer go for the high quality ones like the ones that Rudy generally has in his portfolio and he likes, basically. A little bit of uh, love there for you, Rudy, and your strategy. Talk to us about Grain Corp. Would it be in your portfolio on a very long term, keeping in mind the dividend story as well? Love you too, Claude, by the way. <laughs> um, 
Uh, uh, to correct Claude, by the way, uh, uh, the dividend yield on offer is, is more than 4% for, uh, for Grain Corp. It's only uh, hardly 3 for Woolworths. Um, to go very short on the subject, uh, the, the, sh the difference, the reason, one of the reasons why Grain Corp is offering a higher dividend yield is because the share price is not, it's not highly valued. Um, so it's, it doesn't look expensive. Um, it's probably the reason that uh, investors are still uh, holding off a little bit, because this is a stock. Nadine, you mentioned cycles. Let's let's throw in the weather, and let's throw in international trade. Um, history shows you that this stock can be extremely, extremely volatile, and what's on offer today could be easily taken away uh, next month or in, in six months' time. So this is one of those stocks that you sometimes own, and a lot of times you don't want to go there. At the moment, it would appear that everything is coming together for, for a very profitable year this year and potentially next year. This is the reason why there is probably uh, a quite a healthy dividend on offer. But you can tell from the share price, the investors, investors are still holding off a little bit, which might be an opportunity, uh, but we'll find out later in the year and over the, the 12 months ahead. For me, uh, it's, it's way too much uh, unpredictability, way too much volatility, way too much cyclicality in, in, in something like Grain Corp. So I've never owned a stock and I probably never will. Okay, that is a hard no. All right, let's get to Telstra. This is for Lachlan. Uh, Rudy, I couldn't help but notice that there have been no brokers weighing in on Telstra since the February reporting season. Does that mean that nothing material is changing? Nothing's happening there? I mean, what is it at Telstra that yeah. could potentially get you excited? Well, I'm a shareholder of Telstra, and, and no, it's not a good company. It's not a great company either. Yes, it is, it's, it's a large cap, but that's about everything said, apart from the fact that it seems to be paying a steady dividend for the time being. But the reason why there are no broker upgrades is that the story for Telstra essentially is unchanged from here. And that's the reason why I own Telstra as well. I bought it at a, at a cheaper share price, around the $3 mark. And um, the reason why I bought Telstra is because they announced that they are going to sell off assets. And on a cheap, uh, undervalued uh, share price, it means they're going to unlock value for shareholders. And I always thought that the share price would be cruising towards the $4 mark. And it's sort of getting there gradually. So I think uh, that is the story of Telstra. At some point, that story will run its course. We will hopefully hear more later in the year and early next year about what they're going to do with, with those assets, how much they're going to get for it, and, and how much how that process will, uh, will develop. I believe that during that process, the downside is protected in that share price. That's why I own it in the portfolio. In uncertain times, this is probably uh, has less downside. But I also don't think this is a, this is a this is a great company. So I'm don't only buy. owning it for the I only own it for the time being. And if you want to own it, you will get your dividends and you will get your upside from the asset sales. And all the rest is uh, pure speculation. And history shows you that um, what goes up today can easily come down tomorrow. All right. Well, that is a hold for you. How about Telstra? Claude, I mean, yeah, we've got the infrastructure assets uh, to come out, but uh, you know, is this is it techy enough? Is it doing enough in terms of five G to get you excited? Uh, yeah, it's it definitely doesn't get me excited. It's actually hard to it's hard to find anything with what Rudy just said that I would disagree with, other than the fact that 
it's funny to note that he owns it, but he's not super excited about it, which I think is it's probably a, a lot of shareholders feel that way. It's a kind of it's kind of safe business because it has a quasi monopoly position. Um, it, it's just got huge market share, um, it, and its yield isn't too bad. It, it's this is much more for me. It's a dividend stock basically, and it's a reasonable dividend stock. Uh, Telstra owns like a collection of interesting assets, um, and also it it. It has the best mobile network, and of course, we all know how important that 4G and, and then 5G mobile network is. So that's a really good asset in there. Um, overall, for me, it's just not exciting enough. I, I'm not, you know, I'm a young man. I don't want to plant my capital and, and get a 4% dividend yield or, or less for years. That, that has no excitement to me. But you know, for someone who is looking for a decent dividend yield, which beats a bank account, you know, I, I can see why you'd hold. Um, Telstra. So I guess it's a hold for me, but mm -hmm. you know, it just depends what your strategy is. Okay, well that one will stay in the portfolio as it is a hold. Let's get to HT&E. This one is for Bruce. Hi, I hope you're watching Bruce or listening on Catch Up. Uh, so we've got HT&E, which I wasn't aware of. It's actually sold uh, but a 25% interest in Soprano to a European company. Uh, but it's also one of those companies that could be leveraged to the economic recovery here in Australia as ad spend continues to increase. What do you think, Rudy? Yeah, not not fair. You won't find too much enthusiasm for coming from, from my end. Um, I think the story of um, here, there and everywhere, as they as they have renamed them, uh, I think about three, four years ago. Mm -hmm. um, if you if you open up a long term price chart, it shows you two things um, where the share price was at one stage. And that's that's a relatively short term. There you one. go. Open up there you there. go. There's a five year. Longer term. <laughs> See how how far how far off it was above today's share price and how little has happened over the past two, three years in that share price. And, and that tells you, in my view, everything you need to know about this company. It's 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 a small cap. It's 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 increasingly focused on on um, outdoor advertising alone. It has some it has some mini assets in, in Singapore, but it's predominantly uh, in Australia. Uh, once upon a time, very sexy because the whole industry was changing. Now a lot less because now we have lockdowns. And who sees advertising when you're in, inside the house? Anyway, uh, the market is, 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 is ascribing a relatively low valuation to the shares. So that's one for the for the value traders here. But I just can't ex I can't get excited about a stock like that. I mean, there are so much better opportunities out there that uh, have so much more to offer than um, a, a cheap share price that might at one stage have a little bit of a blip to the upside. So uh, for me, it's a, it's a wide circle around it and look for better things. Uh, ASX has 2000 stocks. Yeah, right. Well, and uh, lots of small caps that are interesting as well. Claude, is it as easy as that for you just to know? Not really, like, because at least this one for me, it's, it's in that kind of hated small cap um, genre where you can definitely see why it would be undervalued. Because, I mean, I think Rudy basically makes a case perfectly for why you should just not even waste your time looking at this company. And I roughly agree with that. But in a way, the fact that I agree with that makes me think, oh, well, maybe everyone's just ignoring this company. And maybe there's some sort of value there. You know, these guys have about a quarter of their market capitalization in cash. They're buying back shares. I. Uh, believe from memory they did actually reduce their dividend um you know during COVID or whatever or maybe cut one mm. dividend 
Uh, but, you know, that should come back a little bit. And then most importantly is that they're looking to try and get liquidity for some of these like private, like that 25% investment you mentioned. They're looking to try and get with liquidity and, and, and you know, turn that into cash a little bit, which could um, be a sort of catalyst for a share price re-rate if that works out well in their favor. So overall, um, actually, you know, in the process of preparing for this show and, and listening to their webcast and stuff, I was like, oh, you know, I think I should put this on my list of, you know, the value plays. I reserve a small part of my portfolio for, you know, value plays, you know, the unloved stuff. It doesn't have to be a great company. It just has to be cheap. And this one could be interesting there, uh, given the recovery mode. You know, of course, the news that we've got today, it, it brings to front of mind how, it, you know, things are going to be bumpy for us for a while still. So these ones are probably, uh, you know, they're probably a good re-rate in them if a few things go well. But the downside is, is then you get your re-rate, you get your little bump. And, and that's it. There's no long-term compound or multi-year hold. It's not going to change your life kind of thing. And as such, it's not the most exciting uh, thesis that I could think of. And in the end, I do sort of end, in, end up in Rudy's camp if there's, there's probably better stuff out there. All right. So that is a no. Go ahead, Rudy. Were you saying something? Yeah, well, I can I can confirm they did scrap their dividends uh, during during the, the the midst of the pandemic, but they are supposed to reinstate dividends and offer more than four percent yield at the current share price. Okay, yeah. there you go. And that's why it could be interesting. I kind of I kind of like the idea. Okay, well now I'm confused, Claude. Is it a sell, a buy, hold, or a sell? It's, it wasn't on my radar before uh, yesterday, uh, you know, afternoon. And now I'm like, oh, this is kind of an interesting one. Maybe I like it. But I don't know it well enough and I haven't done my due diligence to say, oh, I think it's a buy. So okay. that's why for me, I just think it's, I have to say hold. But I do actually think it's an interesting idea there. All right. Okay. Hope that's clear for everyone out there as well. No, it is. Thank you, Claude. All right. We are halfway through the program. So let's sum it up, shall we? CSL. It is a buy for Rudy. He'd prefer to buy at around 270, but this is a long-term backbone of your portfolio. It is a no. It is actually a sell from Claude. He had his money where his mouth is, and he sold in May. He just thinks that uh, CSL uh, has some questions to answer about its lack of activity through this pandemic in terms of a vaccine and missing the mRNA boat. Oz Minerals is coming out of the Ozbiz portfolio. Forgot to mention that earlier, but it's a no from both of our expert guests today. Claude doesn't buy stocks that he doesn't really like. He's also saying watch the costs. And Rudy says it's just not a good buy for the moment. Short-term pain uh, for long-term gain is not what he's into right now. So that is a no, it's a sell. Woolworths is a hold for Rudy. Again, a backbone of any portfolio. He says it's not cheap right now, and that's why it's not a screaming buy. And uh, Claude says that management has done really well through the pandemic, has a lot going for the company, uh, but it is a hold uh, for him. I don't think he'd be buying it at this stage of the game. Grain Corp is a no from both of my expert guests, Rudy and Claude. Way too much unpredictability in the business for Rudy. And, uh, you know, Claude says maybe there's a trade in there some way, but somewhere, but is it worth the risk for, you know, for a dividend investor? Dividend is also front of mind when Claude's talking about Telstra. It's a hold for him because there are many people out there that need that income, that rely on that income, and it does for now pay a steady dividend. But Rudy is a holder of this company personally as well, but he admits that it's not 
a great company. It's again, it's defensive and it's that steady dividend that keeps him holding on. All right, HT&E, it's interesting now to Claude, but he really only started looking at it yesterday. So on that basis, he would never give it a buy, uh, but he does see that there's a potential for a liquidity moment that could inject some cash in the business and you could see a re-rate. I mean, it's interesting to him, but uh, too early days for him to give a buy recommendation. And it's a no from Rudy. He just says, look at the chart, what's been happening over the past three to four years. There are so many other opportunities in the ASX investable universe. Why would you go to HT&E? Well, we've been talking about this portfolio. If you're not across it, we have been putting companies in that get a buy recommendation from both of our experts on the day. And we've been tracking it since July the 1st of last year. And again, huge thanks to our partner at NAB Trade. Now, let's check in on performance down by half a percent over the past week. Three and a half percent up, though, on the month and 33 percent up on the year. We have added just yesterday, Sandfire Resources and Bank of Queensland. We've also recently added the Magellan Global Fund and Domino's. If you'd like to see that portfolio, I know that Claude's gonna start checking it regularly before he comes on. You can do that by heading to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Let's get back to it because we've got a couple, uh, well, a handful of really interesting companies to get to, and I've been looking forward to this one. This is for Gentrack. Uh, GTK is the ticker code from George. George, uh, just keep in mind, actually everybody listening and watching, keep in mind this information is, is not advice, it's information only. You always have to take into account your own personal circumstances, but having that out of the way, Gentrack, GTK, it's a cloud-based tech business helps utilities essentially get cleaner and greener, helps them with clean tech. This is one of those ASX, NZX listed companies that often are so attractive. Uh, Rudy, do you like Gentrack? No, for me it's too small. Um, and, and the share price already has rallied uh, uh, quite high from uh, uh, a month ago or so. Uh, so I, I suspect uh, this is more of Claude's uh, portfolio considerations. Uh, and I'm actually interested to uh, to see why I'm assuming Claude thinks this is a great buy. <laughs> uh, okay, so let's get to it. This is a no from Rudy. Uh, Claude, over to you. Well, Rudy, you're half you're half right, mate. Um, and I don't own this. And actually, if we look at that five year chart, we'll see why yeah. this one is one mm. of my biggest ever mistakes and one of my biggest ever losses. Um, I started buying it right over the left of that chart and um, yeah, it, it definitely came down a long way uh, before I sold out completely. So, so I took a big loss on Gentrack. The reason is, the reason I liked it in the first place is because this is definitely in that thematic I like to invest in. So it's, um, it, it does a lot of infrastructure software. So business to business software that helps people run their like retail electricity networks and also airports and a few other things here and there, water is, is a big part of it as well. So you, you'd think that they've got very sticky customers. They were growing for a while there. Um, in the, you know, in the, in the ramp up, they took their, um, where that share price was going up, they took their gross profit from, um, well, they took their, sorry, their revenue from about 50 million per half um, and, you know, basically profitably managed to grow that. But then essentially what happened is 
it, it, it just disappointed on the profitability line. So all this whole time, when you're looking at that big up and big down, their revenues sort of stayed at around 40 to 50 million per half. But what you've seen is you've seen profitability drop right away. So gross profit is actually basically halved since its peak. And, it, you know, they made a bunch of acquisitions that didn't perform. They then had to like write off one of those acquisitions. There was a lot of excitement and extrapolating, you know, a, an exciting future, which I was guilty of. And then it just didn't emerge. And that's why we've seen the share price come down so hard. You know, I think we've got a new CEO on. They've, you know, they've rebranded as well. They've they've rebranded their, you know, their logo looks different like that. You know, I just, it, not, it seems like they're trying to get a fresh start now. And, you know, good on them. I guess that's the only way forward. But if we take a snapshot of where they are right now, I think it's important to hone in on like the recurring revenue part of their business, which is actually um, less than half, right? So it's only, they reported in the last half, 34.9 million annualized recurring revenue. And I believe this is the more attractive revenue, but that's flat, right? And if you put it in AU dollars, that's about 32 million, right? So that's flat. It's not really growing. And then I don't know what value you'd put on the non-recurring revenue part of their business, but it wouldn't be a whole lot. And even with their, even after the share price fall, they're already on around five or six times that recurring part of the revenue. And given that that's flat, you know, I don't think that that's super undervalued. So, you know, if you're buying shares in Gentrack today, basically you're betting on a return to growth, and then you need that growth to be sustained long enough that the people like me in the market who are now skeptical of the company, uh, you know, believe that it's believe that it's back on track and it is actually going to grow. Uh, yeah, and look, there, there are also there are some heuristics that don't look great to me, for example. So there's some of their UK customers are going bankrupt at the moment, as I understand it. And, you know, they're moving a lot of their DevOps to India, which says to me that they're trying to improve profit by cutting costs. And that is also not super hardening. So, yeah, look, it, it doesn't seem like a terrible idea, but I'm not a buyer at the moment. And, and I've also been burnt on this one. Yeah. All right. So that is a no. Next one on the list is Limeade. This is for Mark, who's called you out by name, Claude, saying with employers finding it hard to fill position, this company helps companies hold on to them. The IPO is overpriced. Claude, does it look good now? Uh, no, well, not, not overly. I mean, this is the kind of stock that uh, me and some of my good friends, um, you know, in, in the fund management business have a laugh over, basically. Um, this is an HR, this is an HR software company. Um, hold that in your mind and go and visit the Glassdoor reviews is my advice. And, and remember with Glassdoor, the rule is you only read the negative ones. Um, positive ones don't tell you a whole lot. Um, and, and then wonder, and then wonder if you want to put your money on it. Um, look, these guys IPO'd, I think you can see there on the chart. Um, if we get that, if they get the chart up, you can see like their, their results immediately disappointed. That brings in that brings in another element, right? When you see a company like Nuix or Limeade IPO and then tank, that should tell you something about um, the the sellers, the the people. Like basically, a whole bunch of people bought money in the IPO and then they've lost money straight up. That's a, that's definitely one strike for me. So that makes me even more skeptical of the business. Moving to the actual quarterly, I think at an operating cash level, they're sort of roughly break even. So I can totally see why um, why 
Mark would be looking um, at this company and saying, look, it's, it's kind of what you look for on heuristics, right? So it's roughly break even. It's got a good growth story. Maybe it's like a, you know, a good looking software stock, blah, blah, blah. The other thing you've got to remember is that think about where the software fits in the technology stack. So mm -hmm. on, the, on the one hand, you might have software that is to do with, say, the payment software. And that is super key. And um, the, the, the company... It really relies on that and they really need that to get money from their customers. Limeade is more of an optional extra. So if you're looking at your software budget as a company and you uh, want to save costs somewhere, then this kind of add-on employee engagement software, that can be one of the first things that you cut because okay. it, it really is a nice to have. Yeah. All right. So that's a note from Claude. Uh, do you disagree with anything that Claude has said there? Rudy, what's your take? I love Claude. I couldn't possibly disagree with him. <laughs> There's a lot but of love around here. I, 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 can, I can add a few things. Is that Just and, quickly, and, and Rudy. Some, some, something I didn't mention with Gentrack mm -hmm. either, but the, the volumes that go through those shares every single day are so low, that should be a warning sign in, in itself. If you put some serious money in those stocks, you will, will move the share price. And that's not a good thing. Because imagine trying to get out and nobody wants to buy them up here. Yeah, okay. Illiquidity is always a concern. All right, Aristocrat Leisure, ALL, Robert, Claude. Uh, no, sorry, we're going to start with Rudy this time. Talk to us about Aristocrat. I, I sort of know what Claude's going to say about this one. Yeah, yeah, we'll get to Rudy. Uh, I'm a shareholder. Yeah. Uh, uh, this, this is one of the quality prime growth stocks on the share market and has been for, uh, for many, many years. Uh, the, what what keeps or what prevents uh, this stock from uh, getting to a very high valuation is uh, the non-ESG uh, element in there. It's gaming, it's poker machines. Um, a lot of people don't like it. It's uh, it's considered uh, very negative on the ESG filters. Um, but the company performs exceptionally well in what it does, and that increasingly includes uh, digital gaming. Uh, which is which is not uh, poker machines, but uh, which is what a lot of, uh, in particular, the male side of society does when they're sitting at home with a beer and have nothing else to do and there's nothing on television. Um, and that is increasingly becoming a substantial part of that growth story here. And also one of the reasons why I'm, I'm more than happy to, uh, to keep this in my portfolio. Um, the share price is uh, near an all-time high. That mm -hmm. gives you a little bit of an idea of how well uh, the business is performing and has been over the past uh, decade or so. And I believe as long as that digital gaming element um, uh, continues firing, uh, that, that share price will uh, have a, a, a very uh, beneficial future uh, and still. It's not, it's not very cheap here. I wouldn't chase it here. But uh, in case there is a sell down at some point, absolutely add it to your portfolio. Unless, of course, you're an ESG investor and you won't touch it. That's you, Claude, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, Rudy's given a great summary. A lot of these stocks can do well and make money. Um, so, yeah, good, good yeah. summary, Rudy. I personally avoid it. Yep. Okay, good. We get us back on time. Thanks. And <laughs> let's go to Emira. <laughs> Uh, EMD is a ticker code. This one is for Cullum. He says he'd like to know the panel's thoughts on EMD. Would it be well suited to Claude's portfolio? Maybe not so much for Rudy. It looks like our viewers are getting to know you guys really well. I like it, Claude. EMD, uh, is it suitable for you and your investing style? Uh, it's, it's, too, uh, it's too early stage for me. And also, um, while I appreciate the call out, um, 
yeah, I basically, I like to see more revenues and these guys are basically, so they're the research, they're researching, it's actually very interesting, right? And I kind of hope they succeed, but they're researching a bunch of um, applications for, I guess, uh, banned substances. So uh, they're looking at um, how cannabis plant can help with um, irritable bowel um, syndrome and uh, psychological distress, I think, or maybe chronic pain. And they're also looking at um, MDMA, uh, MDMA as a use for post-traumatic uh, stress disorder. And of all things, psilocybin, which is what is in magic mushrooms for treating major depression. So uh, very interesting um, to peruse the company documents and stuff. But, you know, it also seems like a super long shot to me. Uh, there's just so many people that are just actually actively against these guys as well. You know, for me, I'd, I'd love to see it. If, if there are ways that they can help people, then, then good on them. Um, and, I, and I'd love to see them succeed there. But um, for me, it's just too high risk. On the one hand, you know, this is the kind of stock that could get a bid. You know, it, it sort of lends itself to being like a Reddit meme stock, yeah. right? Yeah. You can just imagine the memes would be great. And if this became a Reddit meme stock, I would be laughing, but I wouldn't. I would not be um, participating in that myself. Not it, buying. It seems pretty high risk as a business. No, no, okay. Definitely not. Yeah, risk reward. That's what you've always got to have in your mind forefront, Rudy, right? Well, I think people people tend to look at the share price, but you have to look at the business beyond the share price. And and what I see is a business that is um, it would appear it's well it's not profitable at the moment and it doesn't appear to be become any profitable in it in, in anytime soon. Uh, it's I, I agree with Claude. It, it's an interesting story. Uh, it's it's it really has to develop from here. I mean, because there are millions and millions of interesting stories out there, and they ultimately lead to nothing. Um, and I I, I think this, this this story has 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 a lot to go before it actually matures and becomes more 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 concre concrete. So I would I would maybe have a look at it just out of interest and see what 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 will happen with the business. But I wouldn't. I would draw a, a, big, a big white bow around it and not go anywhere near. One okay. thing I have to say: one, one thing it has, there is more volume in the shares than in the, the two previous stocks we discussed. Okay. So that risk is off the table. Let's but get to it. the company that is last, lucky last on the list: Integral Diagnostics (IDX). This is from Mike. Mm -hmm. Look, a lot of the brokers really like this one, Rudy. Would you be buying it now? Yes, a lot of brokers do like it. It's it's one that uh, I probably have a little bit underestimated. Uh, from memory, I think after it listed, it had a bit of a of a tough time, but it has increasingly proven uh, quite a quite a solid performer. What I do think is that we shouldn't be bamboozled by the fact because this is typically a COVID beneficiary in that healthcare sector that obviously has helped them. Um, one thing to point out here, it is as much of an acquisition story as a roll-up strategy as it is about what, what they actually uh, bring in from their existing uh, operations uh, each year. Um, it's not particularly um, expensive. It's not particularly cheap here. And that's probably because it, it is a COVID beneficiary, so that gets priced in. I, I, I would think it's a hold here. It's a relatively small cap. It's not something I've looked into buying myself. But that's because I had plenty of, of larger cap healthcare stocks in my portfolio. So uh, if you already have quite some healthcare stocks, you tend uh, not to st mm -hmm. start looking for to add some more. Yeah, right. But I would say it's a, sol it's a solid hold here. I okay. Think. 
Solid hold coming from Rudy. How about you, Claude? Yeah, I'd say um, it's a hold for me as well. If you're um, if you've got a sort of long term orientation, um, the fact is that this is a pretty high quality business, but you've got to remember it's a roll up, so it's not some you know great organic growth story. It can definitely get overvalued, and the risk with roll ups as well is that you make a few mistakes, you overpay for a little bit here there, and suddenly the that nice smooth momentum that's driving the share price up now small cap fundies like it they're like set in the mm-hmm. stock you know there's a lot of good um you know and of course brokers like it as well because they know that a roll-up constantly needs to raise more capital so that gives them more of an incentive to cover the stock and also say nice things about it so that they if they're saying the stock is a sell they're unlikely to get the mandate to raise capital and um when that company needs to raise capital to buy another company so you can see how these kind of roll-ups this is a good business but you can see how they can go on a bit of a good run and they get a little bit overvalued mm-hmm. and sort of to me that that's where these guys are now. So for, for my own disclosure, like I bought these, if we look at that five year chart, I bought these in um, that massive, um, you know, down bit that mm-hmm. happened for COVID. And it was almost a panic buy for me because I was just looking around to buy like what safe stocks I can buy that, you know, might raise capital and, and it sort of fit the bill. So I bought that, but then I sort of sold it when it rebounded to its sort of pre COVID price. Okay. Um, and that's sort of how I feel about it. It's one I'd buy. I'd buy the dip of this kind of one. Um, but n- now I wouldn't be a buyer. Okay. Good one. Guys, uh, I'll take you through just quickly the last few companies that we just went through. Gentrack, it is a no from both of our expert guests. Too small for Rudy and the share price has already rallied. For Claude, it was one of his biggest ever mistakes, biggest ever losses. He says, look, they are rebranding. And it was because he held on for just too long when the, the tide was changing. I guess it's good that they've got a fresh start on the cards, but uh, annual recurring revenue is flat and less than half the business. It's a no for him. No for Limeade from Claude as well. And uh, second time I recall Claude talking about Glassdoor reviews. Could have even been for the same company. So go there and you'll be immediately disappointed. Uh, it's a no from him. It's an optional extra for companies. So it is a no for Rudy and liquidity is poor as well. Now, Aristocrat, it is a hold for Rudy. He loves the business, loves the growth story, quality one on the Australian market, but it is at an all-time high. So you would want to play on any pullback. Still, though, is a long-term hold. This is a really good one. And it is a no on ESG principles for Claude. Easily done. EMD for Callum. It is a no on the risk-reward spectrum for Claude. It is a, it's a super long shot that this is ever going to really turn into something big. And it is not a company that Rudy would go anywhere near. Enough said there. And the final company on the list, Integral Diagnostics. Look, Claude is saying be a little bit wary when brokers are all reviewing something very positively when there's uh, perhaps some business at the other end for them. He says, look, it's a roll up story. There's potential for things to go wrong. Uh, If you have a very, very long term orientation, perhaps it's a hold. It's a hold for him at this stage, but it's not just a, a really good good story in terms of a buy today for him. Again, Rudy says it's a story about acquisitions. It's not very expensive. It's not very cheap. It's a hold for him. He doesn't need another healthcare stock in his own personal portfolio, uh, but he wasn't overly excited about this one either. So that is a wrap. 
Hey, listen, guys, thanks for joining us remote. Claude Walker from A Rich Life, Rudy Filipic Van Dyke from FN Arena. Looks like we'll be doing this for at least another week. I hope you guys have a really good weekend. Any stocks you and the audience would like us to cover, flick us an email, the call at ozbiz.com.au, or you can tweet to us as well. We do this program every weekday from 12 p.m. Eastern Time. We love doing it. We love having you along for the board. And don't go anywhere because we've got more stock picks coming up after this very short break. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.